Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I am a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Last time, our guest Jennifer, an academic in the southwestern United States, told us the emotional story of how she spent five years in her relationship with her catfish and only found out that he was leading a double life after the daughter she had had with him was 18 months old. Meanwhile, Anna Rowe, a British teacher turned activist, was led on by her catfish for over a year until she caught him. But she still didn't know who he really was. So she decided to play detective after he tried to ghost her. And we left off where she had just chosen to go find his actual workplace near a local airport. Let's find out what happened next. we drove to this airport and it's tiny went into the little short stay car park because that's all there was drove in came around the one-way system put my brakes on hard because in front of me was not the car that he used to drive to me in but a car with a number plate that was only one letter different at the end to the number plate oh, on the car gosh. So I said, look, that can't be a co- that you know, that can't be coincidence. So we drove round the single little lane and parked up a road behind where this car was parked, and in front of us was this huge office block. And within five minutes there he walked down the steps, phone in hand. And um, the friend that was with me said that he could hear my heart beating on the other side of the car. It was the first time I'd seen him for six months. And um, I didn't get out to see him. I don't think I could have walked, if I was honest. And my friend went up and asked him for a light because he was smoking and then followed him into the building. It was dark outside. I'm looking up at this big building, double-sided, three floors. And as my friend had walked in, I saw him, Tony, then appear in the top window on the left. And as I'm looking at it, I realised that the backdrop from this window was the backdrop in some of the pictures that he'd sent me where he'd been sitting at yeah. behind was the blinds and a bookshelf here. I could see, I could sort of see it through the window. And then my friend came back out and he said, it's the legal team that work on the top floor for the airport. So he came back in, we're on LinkedIn at this point, this airport employees legal. And this profile came up, but without a picture. And I looked at the name and I went, that, look at the name. And the name, his, you know, his catfish name was Anthony Ray. And the first name was shortened and the last name was lengthened. So of his real name. So basically he'd shortened his last name, lengthened his first name to create his catfish name. And then we typed the real name into the internet and up came one image of him which was a corporate image that was black and white taken about 15 years ago. So he'd mimicked that type of picture that he'd stolen. That was the, the picture on his, his dating profile. So over the next two weeks, I found out everything I could about him. I'm also a family historian, so I know how to use birth, marriage, death records, everything else. I discovered Jen, he'd been married for 16 years. He wasn't divorced. He did have three kids. The name is so unusual. It was incredibly easy to find his family on Facebook to find out. I I discovered, I believe it was an aunt that had had ovarian cancer that lived in Canada. And I think that's why he was so gend up on all of the details of the symptoms and the treatments and everything like that, that was so easy for him to reel off, you know, to me about. And then after two weeks, I confronted him and my friend had actually phoned where he works and the reception had put them through, but he wasn't there and it went to answer phone and gave us his work mobile, which I hadn't got. And I messaged him on that work 
mobile after he'd refused to meet me over the whole six weeks he'd refused to meet me because I said I know you're not who you say you are but I didn't know him at that point and finally I sent him a message on all three numbers that I had and said I know who you are and typed his name in and I had a meeting within 10 minutes you know after mm-hmm. weeks of gotcha mofo yeah. so-, so you discovered he had been potentially violent right with some other women and there were lots of victims and then you tried to get him disbarred and that didn't succeed but then tell us how you ended up having professional repercussions instead of him because i think that's you know so important to to understand in terms of what it says about yeah you know our society society and attitude isn't it so after I'd gone to the police and tried my hardest to explain what, you know, I'd realised was, was going on, the number that I had was not his real number that he was just talking to me on. It was a number for his fake identity and that every time I'd seen him online, there were other people. So I knew there were other people, but I didn't know who or how many. They were having none of it. Your boyfriend lied to us. What do you want us to do about it? That was literally what I was told. So I started a petition and the school that I was working at at the time, because my local newspaper said that they would promote the petition for me, uh, sacked me for going public with my story. Yeah, they sacked me for going public with my story. But within a day, because it was then put straight into national papers about it, the first woman came forward who was still seen him at the time or it had literally just gone it had just gone cold he just deleted whatsapp from it from everyone and he'd gone quiet and then as I did more media I had more and more women start coming forward and over the next couple of years that grew and I'm up to 17 now with him and as Irina said you know some of the stories they're they're other women's stories but the picture that emerged was that he'd already back then been doing this for around 12 years. And it appeared to have started after his last son was born, or that's the first victim that had come forward. That's sort of the time frame that we were looking at. And it would appear that earlier on in his targeting of women, he would groom the same way he did with me, but, on the first meeting, he was less than gentlemanly. Let me say that without, you know, having repercussions for, for alleging things that aren't criminalised as yet, or he hasn't been, you know, there's nothing happened, repercussions for him as yet. And then as time went on, it would seem that he learned that if he was took things slower, he got longevity out of his game. So rather than doing all that work, having one night and then being told not to come back, he was slowing the game down and being, you know, nicer. He got longevity out of it that way. By the time he got to me, he was almost a pro. So he'd evolved his behaviour over the years. But it does appear that I had the longest relationship with him. It was 14 months overall. And, but for me, it's, you know, when we say sometimes fate steps in and it was almost as if he hurt me the most and he was meant to meet me because I was the one that wasn't going to let him walk away from that because the hurt was so bad. And, you know, the first week that I found out about him, I remember driving to work where they sacked me and wanting the lorry that I was overtaking to run me off the road because I'd just had enough you know I'd had a series of crap relationships that he knew about and he played on that and he used it you know he used it against me in the relationship that we had and I'd just had enough and it was only because of my kids that I mum mode kicks in doesn't it and you know you've got to keep going for them but I needed to do something positive because that's the kind of person I am. I needed to turn it into a positive. And I have to say that I have been privileged and honoured after I set up my website 
Um, the therapist that I saw was amazing. She's the one that told me to research narcissists and psychopaths, which was, you know, I was told by more than one professional that he's definitely on that side of things. And that was my eye opener because I couldn't understand how he'd hooked me the way he had. Um, I'm normally so amazing at reading people. I'm that person that everyone comes to to say, what do you think of them? And I'm normally absolutely brilliant at reading vibes, but he, he floored me. He really did. And that frustrated me and worried me as well. But I don't think you ever get over that, that lack of trust in yourself, let alone other people. You question your own judgment constantly after things like that. And um, I needed to do something positive. So I, my petition was picked up by change and that grew really amazingly. I was getting uh, publicity from all over the globe at this point. And my uh, a gorgeous MP, Rosie Duffield, is absolutely brilliant. And she um, was setting up meetings with like cross-party members with us. And we um, consulted on the new online harms bill that's just come out in the UK here. And, um, you know, I've, I get invited to the House of Commons to do domestic violence things because part of this almost is, you know, it's being recognised as coercive control now in this kind of thing. And um, I've met the most incredible people, you know, like including yourself, Irina, when you, you start working in these circles and you meet like-minded people with a, a goal and we just get sick of this injustice and how victims in the system that we live in today are almost penalised more than the people, the perpetrators. Because if we want to get that control back, if we want to go looking for answers, we can then get accused of harassment <laughs> and stalking. You know, if you are if you message people to ask questions and things, or, or you get sacked, like I did. And there, there seems to be a complete, you know, flip on the way things should be. Finally, the police listened, in my case, two years fighting, and they started investigating that is ongoing at the, the moment, so I can't, you know, I can't expand further on that. But let's just say after two years of fighting... Gosh, it only took two years, national exposure, a change.org petition. Yeah. With just that little effort, yeah. you can see a catfish get justice. My goodness. I am stubborn. But what motivated me more was after I set up my website and with the, the press, it was the people contacting me, not just his victims, but other victims who were saying to me, thank you so much for being our voice, because we don't have the strength to do that. And, you know, this was like catfishing. I know, Jen, you, you said, I don't know if I was really catfished, but at the end of the day, people that are lying, not only about their their identity or their pictures, but like Irina said, it's all those details. You know, when you're, when you're hiding and deceiving people and telling them that you're someone that you're not, which ultimately affects their life unfairly, it's not okay, is it? It's just not okay. And there have to start being consequences for stealing people's lives. <laughs> Well, and, you know, as a legal scholar, I mean, this is why I concluded that, you know, we have other forms of fraud because that's what this is. It's fraud. We have forms of financial fraud where even if it's a really small amount of money, you can go to court for that. Yeah. But in many, many places, including the United States, including the UK, courts have really just not oftentimes not wanted to touch this stuff um, at the very least unless there was money involved and sometimes even then it can get iffy mm -hmm. and so the victims are just left with the consequences with the emotional harm with the in Anna's case the lost job in Jen's case I mean Jen what is the relationship like now if I may ask between your daughter and and her father like what role does he because you're put in this situation where you either have to integrate into your life this horrible person or he's just not a part of your life which is complicated in its own right so how has that all played out yeah so he is not a part of our active everyday life we live about two thousand miles apart and so my 40th birthday weekend would have been the last. So that would have been 2015. 
the last time they saw one another. We share legal and physical custody according to the state that she was born in and that our case is in. I did wind up filing for child support, which is where that came, that order came from, the custody order. And so I I did that because I was moving. And uh, so I have not had any kind of contact with him since, oh gosh, I want to say sometime in early 2017. I know that he currently lives with the woman that he was with at the end of our, that 2014, 2015 kind of blur. And she has a daughter, so they are together. He lives with her. I get a small monthly amount to support my daughter. I cannot get a passport for her because I can't find him to, you know, sign off on the paperwork. And yeah, so there are are constraints on my life in that way. Um, I don't consult him about any kind of decisions I make on her behalf. As far as I'm concerned, he just, that custody order puts up a little bit of a barrier for us. And the economics of raising a kid all on your own is, is something else. She does not remember him. And yeah, that's when the time is right. And she asks, I will be very honest and upfront about who he is. Uh, She has two half sisters and a half brother. Um, And she has met them through their mom. Um, And so I stay connected to his ex-wife. Yeah, we catch up with each other a couple of times a year and talk about where we are in our (laughs) recovery from from this person and uh, kind of lean on each other once in a great while. Um, She's remarried and is is doing her thing. It just blows my mind that he did not even, that, that he didn't even tell the truth while you were pregnant. Like that entire time that he kept up that charade. But yeah, I shouldn't be surprised because the the people who do this and especially these kind of long-term schemes as both Jen and Anna experience and that go across multiple victims and so on and so forth, they are that selfish and they do tend to be narcissists. Uh, And so, you know, why would he care about your feelings, your future child's feelings or or anything that this is something that uh, should, you know, that that's information that should come out. Knowing what you both know now, like what, what is your advice to people on dating apps as to things to look out for? Like, how would you spot a catfish? We've already gotten some indications from things you've said, but if you were to Say, okay, here are the most important things that I feel like I've learned. Again, not that it's ever the fault of the victims. It's always the the fault of the wrongdoers in this situation, and that's the catfish themselves. So I want to be very clear on that. But to the extent you were to kind of help some of our listeners keep an eye out, why don't we start with Jen, and then we'll go to Anna as to what advice you would give and, and what things... And you, if you also want to talk about, are, are you back on the dating apps? Did you ever go back? And if so, what do you look out for? And if not, what should others look out for? Yeah. So looking back, there were red flags that I ignored that I think I would tell future me not to or other people not to. Like, I remember looking through my archives of emails when I was kind of spiraling in this detective period when I was looking for answers, like, and, and also trying to blame myself for the whole thing. And there was one email early on in our relationship where I, I asked him if he was married and he, you know, his response was very deflected, right? Um, Like, why, why would you say, why would you think something like that? No, I've just been busy doing X, Y, and Z. There were, I would say holidays were kind of a telltale, but then he also had a big, the consumer electronics show in Vegas that happens in January to prepare for. So that kind of ate up Thanksgiving and Christmas in a way that made sense, right? But 
looking back. If they're not around for holidays, uh, not reachable. If they have two phones, um, <laughs> that might be. Although a lot of people have two phones, one from work, right? And one from yeah. personal. So it's, it's hard to tell yeah. sometimes. But it sounds like too, it could be like the accumulation mm-hmm. of suspicious red flags. Another thing was that he never used his driver's license. Like I never saw his driver's license. He always used his passport, like always. And I'm like, you know, looking back, I just thought that was one of his eccentricities that I kind of found adorable. But looking back, I'm like, oh, well, that would have had an address on it, right? Like that would have had that house that I found on, you know, through my detective work online that would have had that address. One year, it was our second year in Vegas at that show, he got injured and we had to go to the emergency room. And I noticed that the insurance card he was using had his wife's name on it. And so there were things that I saw that I kind of pushed out of my mind that now that, you know, hindsight. So, you know, if you're divorced, why are you using an insurance card that has her name on it? If they never want you to meet their children, but they know yours and you're at like the house shopping stage together and doing things like that. That's a little bit suspicious. So. Well, what was shocking in, in your case also is that his own employees didn't know. It's not like they were lying to you from, I remember you telling me they genuinely didn't know this guy was still married to someone else. So you thought you had met all these people in his circle Right, employees, friends, etc., and and that is that is fairly unusual, I would say. Right, and it turns out also I was not the first extramarital relationship that he had had. He had a relationship with another Jennifer, but she lived in the town that they lived in, and he told her that they were divorced, and so he was doing this in his own hometown which was not a really big you know large city it was a a small town in the midwest like the kind of place where you think surely no one would be brazen enough to try something like that here (laughs) it's like the audacity right just the audacity yeah so red flags don't ignore them like your your hunches are probably like they're trying to tell you something and they're trying to protect you from something. So don't think of yourself as, don't gaslight yourself, <laughs> right? Anna, can you tell us, because uh, you've become a bit of an expert on this stuff, like yeah. what are the red flags? Well, strangely, I don't just work in the field of this kind of personal catfish now that we've experienced. I now work an awful lot with the victims of romance fraud, but there's an awful lot of crossovers here uh, with the red flags to look out for. And on those profiles, again, when you're seeing those words that are gaslighting you into what they want, it's that reverse psychology, loyal, honest, committed. Why would you put that on a profile unless you're trying to enforce that on someone's mind why wouldn't it just come naturally from when you actually meet someone scammer profiles always have these words on the thing that i'd never heard of that kind of catfish either the the romance fraudsters but when i had victims start sending me the messages that they'd received the comparison with the love bombing scripts used by narcissists and the scripts used by the scammers I like this, that, you know, they're so parallel. And that's why I think I was immediately drawn to help those victims as well, because I knew the emotional manipulation that they were going through. And I think for anyone in dating, and it's something that I say to the romance world victims, as well as the victims of our type of catfish, it's that love bombing. Nothing real moves that quickly. It's so fast so furious in the chemistry that's created that mirroring of everything uh, that soulmate creation and it's so quick and those declarations of love come 
almost immediately. And that's not real in 99% of circumstances. And so if you've got anyone coming at you with that kind of bombardment, you've got to be wary. And it's a, it's a red flag. They're doing it for purpose. And the other thing that Jen was just saying, the devil's in the detail. So pretty much with mine, and you do push it aside. And not mine, I thought I was being paranoid because of the bad relationships I'd had in the past. And I never, even though he'd said he travelled, he never had a passport with him. He only ever had cash in his pockets. There was never like guys carry their card and some cash in a pocket. And then when they when they take their suit off at the end of the day and dump everything on the table, it was only ever cash and not a card. And like you, I just thought, oh, actually, that's quite nice. Perhaps we just use his cash. And but it's the devil's in the detail, and there are little things like that. I did the whole check as he got a as he got a mark on his finger where he's taken a wedding ring off. You know, when he first came, I was doing all those kind of little checks, but there wasn't one. Yes, he did have two phones, but then, like Irina said, it was work phone, home phone. So, but he never ever used the phone. It was always switched off when he was in my house. He must have emptied his pockets of everything and locked it away in the car <laughs> before he came in to my house. And like you said about trusting your gut. We get those vibes about people for a reason and all too often we push them aside because either we don't want to believe them or we think that we're being paranoid but they they are there and it's just so hyper important that we listen to them I think in um, in the situations when we're meeting new people the problem is these people are excellent liars and Mine was sticking very close to the truth. And that's how they don't slip up, you know. And um, mine was seeing five of us over the time that I was with him in that 14 months. There were five of us. How do they have this energy? Uh, Mine was because, you know, I said we were like on a rotor system. So I was seeing him one week. And then when he told me that he was away abroad for the other week and that I didn't used to see him or I'd only see him once, that's when he was seeing the other women. And he did go aboard, but it was just much less frequently than he was, than the story he'd created to allow him that, you know, that time. I also think he wrote things down in a book. Uh, I think he had a book where he wrote things down that you were doing special events so that he knew to message you and say, like when I I was going for an interview, he messaged me that morning and said, you know, good luck with your interview. And I thought, oh my God, you're the only person that I know that's messaged me to say good luck. And, you know, but we'd had the conversation a couple of weeks prior and he said to me, I got my secretary to write it down on the calendar so that I knew to, I think he was writing stuff down in the book for all of us. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I do think as a clinical psychologist, it could be helpful for me to chime in on some of the stuff that we've talked about, how Anna, in your research and in your work with your own therapist, you have heard that many of the people who do this have at least narcissistic tendencies, if not outright narcissistic personality disorder. Now, we're not diagnosing anyone here on the podcast, but we are saying, as your therapist said to you, you know, look up these terms, look at, so whether we're talking about narcissistic tendencies or narcissistic personality disorder, but also another one that you're going to see very highly represented amongst the kind of people who catfish would be antisocial personality disorder, which is otherwise uh, essentially the same thing as somebody who is like a sociopath. And so if you were to look it up, you could learn some of the characteristics, but I think it's important for us to share with our listeners what you guys notice. So with antisocial personality disorder in particular, but also true of narcissism sometimes, these people are uncannily good at reading reading other people. Mm-hmm. It is just in their lizard brain. It is something predatory that allows them to really hone in on signs that may not be as obvious to somebody else of what it is that you might want or what you might need. They are just very good at reading that. And so it's important to understand that another hallmark of antisocial personality disorder, which is also true of some people with narcissism, 
is, well, let me say it this way. With antisocial personality disorder, they do not care about how their actions impact others. They just don't care. They only view other people as a means to some kind of end for them. And with narcissism, it is maybe not exactly that, but it is at least that they will always put themselves and their own interests above other people. And so with both of those, there is some overlap. And those kind of characteristics really explain what otherwise I think is unexplainable to any of us who hear or see these stories, which is how could they do this to another person? How could they ruin your life like this or attempt to? Because as we see, you two are still here, thriving, doing good for other people. But the answer to it is just as simple and cold-hearted as they just don't care. That's something I think really stood out from you guys' stories that I thought would be helpful to mention to our listeners. And then, Anna, with your story as well, how you said somehow he's able to see to be doing this to five people at the same time. And we've seen the same on some of these documentaries. And, you know, I said, like, how does he do it? How does he have the energy? But I also think that's important to know is, is that this is addictive to mm-hmm. them. They can't get enough of it. They literally can't get enough of it. And what that means is they won't stop. And so it's important to understand you probably aren't the first unless they're young enough. And you probably won't be the last unless we really see social reform around these kind of issues and accountability that isn't like what either of you experienced. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, I think there is an absolute sense of self-entitlement, isn't there? with them like you say and absolutely no sense of the repercussions of their actions at all it's scary how human beings can do that and I remember one of the questions I asked myself when those little um those little gut reactions were kicking in about when he told me about his mum had cancer and I remember standing there thinking to myself no one could be that horrible that they would lie about something like that and it seemed inconceivable to me that someone would create that story when it wasn't true I was so gutted for him but it's that trauma bonding isn't it it's I was devastated for him I had all the text messages please don't leave me I can't do this without you and I think when you are a particular kind of person and I am that personality type I'm the one that wants to mend people and help people and he already knew that I'd said to him I'm the sort of person that doesn't give up on other people and he absolutely cleared that up oh he did right because they feed the narcissists feed on high empathy people that's who they're looking for they go after you in part because you are such a nice person and you are such a good person and they really build this image that they themselves are very good people and very kind and so i think part of what happens during the the love bombing is also that some people and often it is women finally encounter the kind of love that they have been putting out into the world coming back to them because often they are extraordinary people like Anna and Jen, just really sweet, loving, wonderful human beings. And it's like, oh, here's finally a person, usually a man, uh, that is acting in the same way. And that's why it might not seem that weird and unusual because the things that he's doing are things you might do for someone. Mm. Except in this case, there is this very sinister, ulterior motive. And and I think part of what's so difficult, and as as you may recall from a conversation we've had with somebody else before this show a while back, your story isn't even the only story where somebody made up cancer. No. Uh, in their family. No. So this is actually, in case people at home are thinking, oh, well, that that's just one guy. I mean, that must be super unusual. No, it's really not. Uh, because the, these people will make up exactly the kinds of stories that will make you want to rescue them and help them and be understanding. And they've been through so much. And, oh, of course, they can't show up for me consistently and, and you know, all this stuff. And, and then afterwards, you know, people are 
having to kind of build their lives back up. And Anna has obviously met a lot of victims of catfishing and has a lot of people contacting her for all the great work she does. What's it been like for you, Jen, connecting with other women like Anna or perhaps like others who have experienced not just catfishing, but very dramatic catfishing because what happened to you is just so so upsetting and so life-changing and, and is this something where you have found some level of comfort that hey it's not just me it's also all these other wonderful smart women and it doesn't say bad things about us perhaps in some ways it even says good things about us that we're the ones this happened to yeah so i um aside from talking to you arena and for your book and hearing some of the other or sharing some of my story in our social media group, I don't talk a lot about it. Interestingly, I was hanging out with a colleague last week, a couple of weeks ago, and she, my youngest is friends with her kids. So I took her over to go swimming in their pool and my colleague and I are hanging out and catching up and kind of you know, what are we doing over the summer kind of thing? And she asked if my daughter sees her dad, she, similarly to how, how you asked me about it, right? And she didn't know my story. And so I was like, well, well, and I shared a little bit of it, but it's not because I'm ashamed to share it. It's just because it's honestly, it's, it's like a what the actual heck, right? Did that <laughs> did that really happen kind of thing? And I don't have a lot of people in real life who I think would connect with it. Do you know what I mean? In a way that's mm -hmm. beyond sympathy, right? Like, I don't want your sympathy. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you to feel bad about this happen. I have a miracle baby because this happened to me. And, and I get to be her parent. And mm -hmm. I am so blessed for that, that I, yeah, I don't really, I don't get a lot of <laughs> sharing your story with me or me sharing my story with other people. When I have, it's mostly like people sit there in disbelief, like, holy, <laughs> really? And why haven't you written a book about this yet? You know, like, where's the Lifetime movie? <laughs> well, you start small with this podcast. And, <laughs> and so actually, on that note, I have a question for each of you. I'm actually, it's, I guess, a two-part question. But one of the things I wanted to ask, and so, Jen, I wonder if with what you were saying, the question is, what's been the biggest help to you moving forward and recovering from this? And I'm going to go ahead and guess part of that answer is what you just said about your daughter. That's what really made me think this. But I'm so curious, and I know our listeners will be. So for each of you, what has what is something that comes to mind that is your biggest help moving forward and recovering from this experience? And what is your hope with sharing your story here today? So for me, a big part has been connecting with his ex-wife, sharing our story together, sitting down and having, you know, when I go visit that part of the country, you know, sitting down and talking to her and catching up with her once in a while has been really helpful. Obviously, my daughter has been a big part of me getting through that trauma. Reading about narcissists uh, has been, has been helpful. And that was at the, you know, my therapist recommended I read a few select titles and I really, they really resonated with me. And also I'm not going to lie, but knowing that he lost his business, uh, knowing that he lost all of his money and his precious $125,000 car in the whole process has been a little comforting. Yeah. Let's add in some clap sound effects for that one. <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, I don't know what he's doing now for work, but I know that it's not in, in the sector that he was. And I know that he, he lost a lot. He lost two families and, and a business and material things. And Anna, in your case, we know, at least from what we've heard, he hasn't lost a lot yet. 
So for you, what's been the thing or things that come to mind that have been the biggest help moving forward? And what's your hope with sharing your story here today? I think like Jen, my first biggest help was learning about the narcissists. Because for me, that was opening my eyes to understanding what I couldn't about what had happened. So that was a huge thing. And also it taught me about myself and the sort of person that I was and what I was reacting to, which is a big help for when you lost that trust, you know, your own judgment. It's good to know those things about yourself so that you're wary of it. They're like little milestones to look at when other people come around you. Uh, so you can check yourself. Uh, what? Why am I attracted to this? What is it about this? Do I need that in my life? You know, that kind of thing. So that's been brilliant. Again, the biggest motivation that's helped me through this was talking to others and being able to help others through the journey out of the other side. I think that peer, that peer discussion with others is is huge because it does help you to understand that you're not the only one that has gone through this. Uh, You're not to blame for it. And actually, it's okay to be the sort of person that you are. It's not bad to be empathetic and genuine and honest. You know, um, I think, Irina, we've said before, sometimes we, we feel like being people that tell the truth is becoming a bit of a novelty. And but that's fine. But, the, you know, but it's okay to be like that as well. You you have to be accepting of who you are. And that can be quite tricky for people like me to believe in yourself and, and who you are. So that's been a good thing. The biggest thing for me has been able to help other people through this. And it's through sharing our stories. And it's not for everybody. It's absolutely not for everybody. And I completely and utterly respect the people that need to keep that to themselves but you have to find what works for you. And for all the victims that come to me that say, how did you get through this? And I I tell them time. And you have to be kind. You have to be kind to yourself and just know that it's not your fault. And I, I go through this conversation with victims of any type of catfishing and it's time and being kind to yourself about it. So moving forward, I hope that things like your podcast and you know there's a lot of publicity on the roll with all of this at the moment that we can educate more and more people about what to look out for just to help people have a better experience I love online dating you know I think for for women like me who I'm of a certain you know a certain age although I'm not going back there myself because I'm just too tired of it all The, the fact of the matter is that in this day and age it's an absolutely brilliant way to meet people if you know the minefields to navigate you and you know to to make sure you're not landing on the bombs all the time so i've been taking like some notes trying to look for similarities between you your stories this this time that we've been talking and I'd love to run that by you all and see if that feels like it fits. But also I know our listeners are going to want to know the answer to the question, at least your sense of the answer to the question. What do you think made you a good target for this person? When I look at, because I suppose I'm in a position where I've got a whole lot of women and I know all of their backgrounds and we were all either single mums or we had pictures of animals on our dating profiles which kind of you know indicates that we're caring people that think of other things there's those little hints of you know the kind of person that you are even without saying anything isn't it single mums are always vulnerable to us certain extent you're showing some forms of vulnerability in that in that way and it's as you said and as I said these people can smell you out like coffee when you're empathetic they they know how to smell you out like coffee and the way that they read you they know exactly what questions to ask to find out incredibly quickly whether you're going to be someone that they can manipulate for want of a 
you know, for want of a better word. So I think that's why he targeted me. I think I, I think he just knew exactly what to ask me to elicit the right, the responses that he needed, you know, to know the sort of person that I was. Do you think the kinds of questions he asked you were to get at a sense of how trusting you were, like that you were easily trusting? Yeah, and the clever way that he worked, and I see this across all of the different types of catfish, is that they come forward with that information first so that you almost then build trusting to give your honest response because they've already given you what you want to hear so he would he would you know say all these things about i i feel a little bit scared about how much i've built for you already and you know i've been hurt so much in the past that it makes me worried that i'm gonna get hurt again and then you of course you you reciprocate that information don't you so it's very clever the way those kind of phrases and things opposed to make you to make you bring out you know exactly what they want to hear they're faking vulnerability which so many people and here's where i do want to throw something in which is that i have found i mean there's so much blaming the victim there is so much how could the victim be so stupid? That's really what I think a lot of people think. So first of all, we've got the people that have never been on dating apps themselves. So they, they have no idea what it's like out there and they don't realize how many wrongdoers there are of different kinds. Like Anna mentioned, they're the romance scammers that want financial gain. And there are just all kinds of bad people of different sorts. So statistically, you're gonna run into them. So as to the question of the targeting, you're going to run into them. The question is, is really how do you get rid of them before it goes too far? So uh, one thing that I really want to emphasize from the things that I found from talking to victims and, and things I've seen and studying the dating apps is that it is very difficult and you really have to make yourself, it's difficult to pay attention to all the red flags when frankly, the pool, for example, for what Anna was saying, for single moms in their, let's say 40s and 50s, or sometimes even 30s, the, the pool is so problematic. There are so many men in their heterosexual dating pool that already just wanna hook up or already start talking to the person in very rude, very sexual ways. So once you weed out all those people, there aren't that many people left. And then somebody comes along and seems so wonderful. So there is a rational incentive to disregard red flags. And you really have to make yourself and hold yourself to a very tough standard, or you can sort of slip into this. But we as a society need to have sympathy for the fact that things are this way and that the dating pool is skewed in this way. And again, it is not the victim's fault. There are many complex social reasons. We're going to keep exploring them on this show. But that, I think, is an important point. Michelle. Oh, my God, an absolutely important point. And so I think it's important to ask the questions, which we did, is why do you think someone targets you? But really, at the end of the day, this is about what kind of person would choose to catfish somebody. So I I was mm -hmm. listening to your stories. Here's what I've got. I got my list of some things to look for. So one, and, and it's reviewing stuff we've already talked about, but hopefully in one nice little location. One is, this is obviously much more likely to happen in the online world than out in the wild uh, because people who are looking to target other people get more bang for their buck on dating apps. Uh, there's just more people readily available there. It's just a greater number, greater volume of people. And also it's a greater number of, as, as you had mentioned, I think Anna, single moms who know. And so these scammers know that these single moms are limited. They're not going to be able to go out on many dates necessarily, or may not. They they really have to limit their own energy and resources. And so they're less competitive in some ways, less likely to catch on because they're not comparing this catfish's story against other possible 
uh, potential partners out there. And whether it is single moms or also something that they can suss out reasonably quickly is people who have been treated poorly in past relationships. Also, and as you were talking about, and Jen, you mentioned something similar as well. Um, I think it's very ingenious in an evil genius kind of way. What Anna, you were saying about how they really sense out your vulnerabilities about you by being the one to bring it up first, to think of some really vulnerable situations, claim that that was their situation. And then you reciprocate in kind for any that is true about you. And now they know that about you. So I'm sure that they do that early enough on to weed out people who are like, nope, never had anything bad happen. I've only been in respectful relationships before. Whereas they see a hook in somebody who also has been hurt before. And then it sounds like they then use that as something that you should feel sorry for them for. And so looking to distract away from some of the sketchier things they're doing by seeking your sympathy in another area or needing your help for something early on as well and dealing with this problem, only you can help me. It sounds like that sort of thing happens. Now, even in the bios that they have on the apps, Anna had mentioned the hooks that they choose, the kind of words that people are going to be attracted to. But in hindsight, why should you have to say if you're honest you shouldn't have to say that. It really should go without saying. And, and so in a way, it is kind of suspicious. Somebody's trying to tell you that about themselves in their bios. But as you said, they do that. And then they ask the kind of questions that allow them to create a mirror image of you and of what you're looking for by figuring out what that is. It also sounds like that game playing, like the hot and cold, they're very get you emotionally invested in them and then act cold to throw you off balance, it sounds like, so that you, again, your energy and efforts are redirected into figuring out why they're being so cold, not into how suspicious of a person they are. And did I do something wrong? So it sounds like keeping you off kilter is really uh, something that I heard in both of your stories as well. And then this one was a surprise to me. But how both of you had the things that you think are quirky, but in the end, so I'm wondering if the things you think are quirky, if they actually have to do with identity, like an ID or money, like why do you not have credit cards? If it's things like that with identity or money, maybe that really is worthy of further investigation. That's not something I would have realized before this conversation. Um, another thing is, you know, it's not just the one red flag. It's the bouquet of red flags. That's why it's so easy to miss it because one here or there doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And and meeting in November seemed to have not been a good a good sign either. <laughs> so I think I heard that from both of you. But so be suspicious of November. Um, but beyond that, those were those were the things I was picking up on. How'd I do? Very well. Yeah. I think that's spot on. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Is, absolutely and another thing you, you that you picked up on with the personality type was the addiction with this kind of thing as well and that really hit me and I kept main, meaning to say to you about it for him it was a lot more than a sex addiction which was ultimately you know what he was doing this for I think he was addicted to the grooming as well he was addicted to the control and the power that he had over the people that he was deceiving. I think that was huge for him. And I only know that because of the other women as well, because of the little games that he would play, like trying to get you to buy things for him and the way that he'd go about that. And it definitely became apparent. It was, I would say it was 50-50, that addiction to having the control over people and that game is like the cat and mouse it's that kind of that kind of power over someone and then his reward at the end of it for himself was the the sexual gratification that he was getting from the relationships as well I think something else is that might be worth exploring and thinking about is and to give victims props is that I wonder if they also target highly intelligent women <laughs> And that might be my social circle. I don't think so. I think that but, it's yeah, up. it's like it's like a challenge, right? Like like there's a challenge to it, and there's some kind of satisfaction 
gained in so it might not just be that they're in it for sex right that they're also in it to kind of like that's part of the fuel the narcissist's fuel is that they keep duping highly intelligent people into into buying their stories because there's just enough truth in all of the stories to have it make make sense right um, to be fooled. I think that's a million dollar point that they get personal fulfillment and satisfaction from the idea of, I wasn't only able to pull this off by picking the most gullible person I could find. I could pull it off with a smart person uh, and a successful, accomplished person. So I think you're absolutely right about that. Similarly, they, that's who they want on their arm. They want somebody who they think is smart, accomplished. So yep. again, to be a victim of a catfish is, is something that anyone could fall victim to. And in fact, the people who we think would never are exactly the type who would be their targets, who they are trying the hardest with. Yeah, and clearly, for example, Anna has all these detective skills oh uh, that she's <laughs> able to deploy so beautifully. And so I think, and this goes back to what we were saying about gut feelings too. There is often a sense that, wait, something here is inconsistent. And this is also something I want listeners to kind of take home. Anything that reeks of inconsistency, especially already early on when you haven't really established a base yet but you know what even later because sometimes it takes a while for this stuff to unravel you need to keep digging you can't just take people's word for for something that just seems fishy you gotta keep exploring you gotta see what else is going on where are they spending their time who are they spending their time with why do these stories kind of not add up and and then also just again thinking about things like i think jen was saying earlier about weekends they can't spend weekends with you so so just unfortunately sometimes you should think about the worst case scenario and like what is the worst case scenario for why somebody can never spend weekends with you what is the worst case scenario for why somebody might have two phones again as i was saying myself it doesn't have to be the case that there's something shady about having two phones when too many of these things add up and there are just too many weird things, th there is a problem. And I would also say proactively, look, if you go to somebody's home and there is a bill lying around, check if the name on the bill, I'm not saying go through their mail, but if, if you see a name on an envelope, sh check if the name on the envelope is the same name that you were told. And even if something is just slightly off, why is it off? Or if you never see a bill at their home, you never see anything with their name, whether it's a credit card or one of many, many, many other items, that in itself is, is suspicious. So again, this is a case where I would say, let your mind go to the worst case scenario, investigate. It doesn't mean you're, you know, you're spending the next 10 years of your life constantly looking for signs that someone might secretly be a catfish, right? I mean, eventually you might say, no, it's all good. It's fine. And and some people really are wonderful and some people really do fall in love fast. But yes, definitely proceed with caution, as both Jen and Anna were pointing out and Michelle so beautifully summarized. And if I can reiterate one point that both of our guests made and, and also just illustrated is that there really is no correct way to handle if this happens to you. It's what works for you. And so while we are so appreciative, and I know our listeners are, for both of you being willing to share your stories today, because that will help people. At the same time, as you both had mentioned, it's also not something that, I mean, people shouldn't have to do this. It's a shame that that you're even in the position where you ha where somebody has to do this in order to warn others, but it's totally respectable. You do whatever you need to do to deal with if something like this happens to you. It's it's not something people have to go public with, although we do really appreciate that you all took this time to share your experiences with us today. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much for, for sharing these experiences, for bringing awareness to this issue, to the fact that this really could happen to anybody, even the most brilliant or perhaps often the most brilliant people out there. Uh, and also showing that if this happens, 
there is a life afterwards. enjoy this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter or on Instagram. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye. Bye.